Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Middle Class Rockstar. I'm your host, Andy Sido. This is episode, I want to say, 38. And it's been fun doing all these on Zoom. By the way, if you're watching on YouTube, yes, there will be video once we get to the interview, just not for the monologue. Anyhow, it's been uh, it's been fun doing these over Zoom. The quarantine adjustments haven't been haven't been all bad. I'm getting to talk to different people that are far away. My guest today is from Nashville. My guest last week uh, interviewed all the way from South Africa, which is the furthest interview um, I've done so far. By the way, last week's interview is with Jason Grishkoff, who's the founder and CEO of Submit Hub. If you're an artist or a blogger, this is a great episode. And if you watch it on YouTube, we actually go through the site and submit one of my new songs for playlists and blogs together. So it was, it was real cool. It's kind of a, a tutorial of sorts at the end. I don't normally do that sort of thing, but that's what we did last week, and it turned out uh, real well. To release or not to release during the quarantine. I have a lot of friends who are an artist that I, I know of that are not releasing stuff right now. They're holding back. Is that a good idea? I don't know. I know a lot of major labels are doing it, but today's guest, Randall Kent and myself, have one thing in common. We're both releasing music in the quarantine. We said, screw it, let's do it. Uh, I've got one that'll be out on Saturday, May 16th, the Wicked Dreams EP. Got to throw a quick pitch in for that because I've been working on it and excited to release it. I'll be doing a live stream on my personal Facebook page, or excuse me, my music artist Facebook page, uh, which is just sl- Facebook slash Andy Sido Music at 7 p.m. Mountain Time on the 16th of May 2020. So if you're listening before then, you can tune in. Randall Kent just released... Carry On, which is a six-track EP that, in, in, in Randall, if for those unfamiliar with him, he does a lot of music for sync. So he's got a home studio in Nashville, a sweet home studio, and he works with other artists. He puts stuff together himself. He does all kinds of things. He produces, engineers, mixes, masters, um, and he gets a lot of placements, film and, film and television stuff. So he does a lot of a lot of different things music-wise in terms of genre. And this EP is really great because it's him as an artist, but you can totally hear the emotion of each title in the song. For instance, his the first track, Brand New Day, really does sound like a brand new day production-wise. It's not just a chord progression with lyrics that have something to do with a brand new day. And, it, and he does that with all the tracks on the EP, and I just love it. But this is a great conversation because Randall talks about his new EP. He talks about his move to Nashville. He talks about why he does what he does. He talks about uh, the differences in writing for, or the similarities perhaps, in writing for music and TV or for sync as opposed to writing just for himself as an artist. He talks about working with other artists. He talks about some of his favorite placements. Anyway, this was this was just a great conversation, and I was very excited to cyber sit down with him. Before we jump into it, I want to say a quick thanks to our sponsors. First off, PQ Mastering in Las Vegas, Nevada. For any of your audio or restoration needs, you can go to www.pqmastering.com. By the way, they put the finishing touches on this podcast before it goes up every Thursday. Also, big thanks to our newest sponsor, Narrator RF. 
Narrator provides simple and affordable music for sync. So I guess that kind of that's kind of a suitable sponsor for today. Anyway, go to www.narratorrf.com for more info. If you need a song for an Irish wedding, you can just type that into the website and you can get an affordable track and a license for it and you can use it as you wish. Right? Cool. Good stuff. Okay, let's jump into it. My conversation with Randall Kent. What's happening? Hello, I'm Randall Kent. <laughs> are you uh, are you self conscious that we're going to be able to see your face and not just hear your voice? You know, it's funny you say that because I had been rocking uh, a severe quarantine look a couple hours ago, and I had to you know clean it up, clean up the neck beard a little bit, and I was actually making lunch right before this, and I threw a turkey burger into the skillet and. A bunch of hot oil splashed into my face, and for a moment, I was worried that I was going to be marred for this. Oh my! For my moment, for my interview. Well, I gotta say, for a for a new dad, you still look pretty good. I don't see any signs of the dad bod coming in yet, or anything like that. It's a combination of the dad bod and the quarantine bod. You know, it's it's happening. It's it's coming on, but trying doing my darndest to uh to go, at least go for some walks or some bike rides when I can. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I've been wanting to have you on for a while. You've been on my list, I think, for probably a little over a year, and we just ended up really connecting because we worked on a, a project together uh, not too long ago, and I was able to see your studio in Nashville. And uh, so then when I was looking back at the list last week, I said, you know what? This is a really good time to hit Randall up. You just put out uh, an album, and I don't know if we're calling it an album. You just put out a collection of music an ep i guess six songs yeah but i appreciate it this is yeah perfect timing i'm glad we can make it happen and i, I loved working with you on the ian mahan track that was fun i can't wait till it comes out um, oh yeah so let's so start off with a little bit of history where'd you come from how'd you first get into music i started playing in bands in high school um actually in middle school i think i started playing bass because my friend that i would skateboard with played guitar and so we had big visions of starting a band and that band turned into another band turned into another band and so on until finally right around the time I was graduating high school I started a band called The Heyday and that became kind of my my main thing for a couple of years I was the front man singer songwriter in that band and we toured we were based in Denver but we toured all over the country we did a lot of like NACA touring for college campus entertainment we did um made a couple records up at the blasting room and that's just really where I started to see glimmers of like oh I can make this a career you know it, it's looking back it's different than I expected it to be because I, I figured I would be playing in that band um, but you know as that that turned into other opportunities and kind of allowed me to develop a network I just have found myself being a songwriter and a producer and just a collaborator with a lot of the same people that I met during those years as um the front man in the heyday but um a lot of new people as well um so yeah and then kind of it's been a winding path i guess between the heyday and then that turned into a a gig where i was 
touring with a guy named Matt Hires, um, and we had been hired as kind of his backing band. So we toured with him in support of Matchbox 20 and Goo Goo Dolls and Parachute for a couple of years. Um, and that was right around the time I started getting um, the idea to move to Nashville and moved to Nashville back in 2014. And that kind of brought about a shift in less playing live and more production and songwriting for other artists and with other artists. And uh, also brought kind of the focus on making music for sync for film and TV as well. So that's, that's about up to date. Um, I've been doing that kind of thing since yeah, 2014, 2015. So here we are. Awesome. Um, so the heyday, what well, you guys had a little bit of success in Denver. What was, how far did that band go? How serious did you guys get? Uh, we, it's funny. We started right after high school and we, we were, totally just having fun we wanted to make a record and it very quickly became a thing where we were getting you know calls from record labels and managers and um it in a way like everything seemed like it was going to be way too easy <laughs> so we you know we made a record we started working with management we played some showcases the label thing never materialized for us um, but we did tour with that management uh team behind us for a couple of years and um yeah that was it was a wild ride it was a great opportunity to learn like what kind of songs work well in front of a live audience versus what kind of songs work well on a record and it's kind of funny like those were not always the same some of them had that that overlapping but um yeah i think i always gravitated more towards the studio side and the stuff that the stressful things about being in the band, I think, came from playing live, and um, I much prefer like being able to tinker away in the rec in the recording studio until I can get the record exactly how I like it. Versus, you know, a performance, you know, you just have to embrace the imperfections and let it be what it is. And um, something about my personality type, I just have a harder time with that, like walking away from a show knowing that it could have been one percent better, five percent better, or whatever else. So. So is that, um, is that what drove you into moving into more of a, a studio role? Yeah, I think so. Just kind of moving to Nashville, reflecting on what I wanted to do. Um, and I still tour from time to time with Matt Hires or whoever, but it's much it's a much smaller percent of, of my days. Um, right. So yeah, being able to like make something in the studio and being able to like have that for years to come has been really satisfying for me. And the stuff with Matt Hires uh, going on the road with Matchbox 20 and Parachute, what was that? How old were you when that was going on first off? And, and what was those experiences like? I think I was 26. That was back in 2013. So the heyday had kind of started to, um, we were kind of taking a little break and there were some members changing and we were actually, changing our name to the wild after, which kind of turned into a different project. But right during that transition period, um, one of those label people, uh, managers who had reached out to the heyday early on that we didn't end up working with. Um, he had come to manage this guy, Matt hires, and he reached out saying like, Hey, he's about to do this tour, uh, for a couple months and he needs a backing band. Like, which, and the sound was very similar to what we did. So, it just seemed like a good fit and it, it sure was. Matt's still one of my closest friends to this day. He lives up the road and um, the experience of touring with Matchbox 20 was amazing, especially going from, you know, in the heyday we were touring 
uh, very DIY in the van, sleeping in the van, sleeping in a friend's house, you know, which is super fun. But then to all of a sudden be on a tour where things were, you know, big crews and catering and um, hotels <laughs> yeah. felt like luxury. Felt like luxury for sure, but um, it was also a lot of a lot of hard work because Matt was doing a. They were giving him a really good, uh, solid um, radio campaign. So we were doing. I was actually tour managing for him, and we were doing radio events, interviews, in in store performances or whatever. Pretty much every day or two or three a day before we'd have a show, and there were maybe two or three days off of that like six week tour. So it was. It was a, a bit of a marathon, but um, it was it was just what I needed to. It was like a, re, a shot in the arm to like remind myself, like, okay, yes, people are making a living, making music, touring, making records, like, and that came at a point in my life where maybe I was starting to move away from that, thinking that maybe I I, I my chance had passed me by or something. But um, yeah, that kind of reignited the flame, like, okay, like I can I can make this work and help develop a couple new contacts things like that yeah absolutely it sounds like a great experience and and what uh did you guys hang out with matchbox 20 at all were they cool folks or was it completely don't you know don't touch our bus um a little bit on a few occasions you know we'd eat lunch together in the in the catering or we went out um maybe one or two nights during the course of the tour we went out and grabbed a drink or two with them um all super super nice dudes and they really bring their A game like every single night on tour. They were, I was, I was amazed. Like the live versions of their stuff were, were really spectacular. Oh, that's awesome. So you moved to Nashville. We're, we'll fast forward it a little bit again. Sure, Here's, sure. You moved down to Nashville. Uh, what were your expectations and, and what happened initially? I guess I, I wanted to just write songs every day and I didn't know exactly what that would look like, but, um, that's just what I've committed to doing and it's, it's kind of changed. But um, so for a while that was writing songs for myself cause I didn't have anyone else to write with or write for. And um, that kind of turned into me learning more about production and mixing. And, um, and then I realized, Oh, I can, I can write songs every day and get them pitched for sync. So I started working with Lyric house um, who had been pitching some of my stuff with the heyday and with the wild after previously, but, I really just kept knocking on their door saying like, listen, I can, I can make this stuff like fast and quality and do it on my own so that you can, you know, we can get it kind of tailor made to whatever you're pitching for. Um, and just develop that relationship with them. I'm sure the stuff I was sending them at the time wasn't very good, but they were gracious enough to keep sending me briefs. And uh, I think as time went on, I, I, you know, kept making my tracks a little bit better, a little bit better and making the songs a little more, um, sync friendly, which I think is a harder thing. I think a lot of people think that that's an easy thing to do, but it's actually pretty hard to distill a song down to a very, I think the way that I naturally approach writing is to, you know, try to weave together a bunch of like, it's clever stylized lyrics that maybe mean a, a more abstract thing. But for sync, I really had to learn how to you know, deliver a direct singular message and be clear and make it not cheesy. You know, those, all those things together are hard to do. So um, that's been a good learning experience as well, just to be clear and direct in the writing and still make it have a vibe, have some style. 
Yeah, and I think that's an important thing to to jump into as well. I know um, there are, I mean, there's maybe more than two different, I mean, there's a bunch of different styles of writing, but if, if we narrow it down to writing for your band or writing for a commercial, it it is quite different. And I think you see a lot of people doing one or the other. You're somebody who's done both. Um, so it's interesting to hear your perspective of what it takes to write a song for sync. So do you, do you find that you're writing differently now for yourself as an artist, because you are writing for yourself as an artist again, based on all the work you've been doing for sync the last few years? Yeah, I think it has changed my perspective a little bit. I think, um, I still really love songs that are abstract and, and maybe each person takes something different from it. Um, but I also really love the craft of a song that's clear and that can really deliver a message, you know? So trying to find that middle ground between something that, um, yeah, delivers a message, an emotional message, as well as a, you know, a linear train of thought or a logical set of lyrics. Um, but I think even more important is like, does this emotionally resonate on, on a certain frequency, you know? So, right. um, I think that, that part, I think I would get lucky here and there when I was kind of writing less, um, strategically, but writing more strategically for sync, I think it's, it's helped me kind of hone that skill as far as, okay, do I want this to be very open-ended and abstract or do I want this to be, um, you know, something that people really know what I'm trying to say and how, how do I distill it down so that it's the most efficient set of words to deliver that set so of emotions. Maybe, do you maybe have more control as a writer now than you did say three years ago? I think so. I think just the more you do it, you know, every, every day I try to write something new or develop or finish something that I created yesterday or whatever. So I think the more you do it, the more you get a sense of how to do it better next time. I've been telling a lot of people, I, I heard this study recently where um, I guess they took two sets of people, one set of people, they were instructed to make a perfect bowl, like in a pottery class or something like that, um, to make a, an absolutely perfect bowl. And they took another set of people and they told them, don't worry about quality, but make as many, bowl, make as many good bowls as you can. And at the end of the day, they, the group that had made the highest number of bowls, they ended up making the more perfect bowl because they just had the more experience at it. Versus when you're trying to make one perfect thing, it's easy for me to overanalyze, to kind of suffocate it with trying to make it the end all, the be all end all of what, what you want to do artistically, you know? Yeah. I think that's a, a really good point and really, uh, really good advice. I know a, a lot of us musicians and songwriters are perfectionists, but you, you have to just keep going with repetition too, you know, and they're not, they're not, all, none of them are going to be perfect, but I think that's a, that's a great point. Um, but I think this is a good, a good time to segue over into your record a little bit. You very recently, what, a week ago? Um, yeah, exactly a week ago. Exactly right. a week ago. Congrats. Um, you put out, it'll be more than a week ago when this comes out, but it, sure. uh, it came out at the very end of April, first day of May, May 1st. May 1st. May 1st. Um, and it's called Carry On, and it's got 
six original tracks on it. Talk about the album a little bit. Yeah, so it's kind of funny that you had just asked me, like, am I writing differently for Sync versus differently as an artist? I think this record kind of shows that maybe, maybe not, because I think most of these songs, if not all of them, were at some point written for Sync, or a few of them have had a few Syncs. Um, but versus a song, versus, you know, there's a whole lot of other songs that I've just done for Sync, and I never had any intention of releasing them so these are the ones out of all the sync songs i've done over the last few years these are the ones that i kind of kept coming back to that still kind of felt like me felt like something that i wanted to put out into the world under my own name and they're also just the songs that i, I seem to be getting the best feedback from you know there were a few on soundcloud or a few on youtube for different reasons and i kept getting messages people saying like hey where can i find this song on itunes or on spotify and um that kind of felt like a, a good indicator to make them available, give them to the universe instead of holding them so close. So yeah, those are all songs probably written between 2016 and 2018. And I think the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back, if you will, the, the thing that finally made me decide, okay, I need to put these songs out was my co-writer on Carry On, the song, um, she had reached out because she had received messages like that too. It, in particular that song a few times i think it's been on a few shows where uh people might be going through like some difficult circumstances and you know the messages carry on keep going through whatever you're going through until you see the other side and um yeah we just kept getting messages about people really connecting to that and really feeling like it helped them along so um she said just in the midst of this whole pandemic and everything that's going on economically that she felt like it would be a really good time to release that song. And um, I did some thinking on that. I was like, you know what? She's right. Like I should really figure out a way to put this song out. And it just, it made sense for me to just put out this whole collection along with it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And they're, they're really catchy, really catchy songs. And uh, there's a link, a Spotify link to, uh, to the EP in the show notes. So if you're listening along, you can pause it or afterwards click the show notes and go, go check out the EP. Um, I've been noting people's different release strategies because I have uh, an EP coming out on the 16th of this month. And so I, I always keep track of what people do promotion wise, but especially around this time when I'm getting ready to release stuff. Sure. Um, and I noticed you released all or most of the tracks, little clips of them on Instagram um, the week leading up to it coming out, but there were no lyrics on uh, on the on the wave file, so you could just hear the track and some of the production. Uh, what was your what made your decision to put up instrumentals? I guess it was kind of just an evolution. First of all, I hadn't had that plan when I decided to put this record out. I basically forced myself just to put it on DistroKid and say, okay, two weeks from now it's going to be out, which is probably not the smartest you know, strategy. I know you're supposed to give yourself more lead time. Um, but for me and for these songs and for this current time in the, in the state of the world, I just felt like that's what I wanted to do. So, um, and then once I had committed to May 1st, I started thinking, okay, how can I like, how can I keep posting about this record without posting the exact same photo album cover or the exact same, you know, caption that's saying, Hey, my record comes out in one week or whatever. So I decided, yeah, to, to give a little glimpse into each song. I wanted to say just that 
a little bit about what the song is about lyrically. Um, and I, I just wanted some sort of visual to go along with each song. So I just started kind of scouring the internet for different visuals that I felt like would represent each song. And I don't know, I just didn't want to give away the vocal yet. I wanted, you know, to build up a little anticipation with the instrumentals. So I, I kind of teased with the instrumental versions of each of those songs. And um, yeah, I feel like it helps. I think that the thing that I've noticed maybe on some other occasions with friends is if they're posting the same exact album artwork for weeks or months leading up to it, or sometimes they'll have the same album artwork for their single as their album. I feel like the image can just get stale, like for the case, case for the sake of social media. Um, so I think it helps to have multiple images that kind of tie together that feel cohesive for a record. But um, when it's just one image kind of getting used and reused, I feel like people can start to tune out a little bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And along the lines of those instrumentals, when you're syncing things uh, for film and TV, do you find that your instrumental version is is getting uh, the sync more often than the vocal version? A lot of times, if it's like a, a traditional like film or TV sync, they'll kind of match it up. So I provide them with an instrumental and the the main mix, and they'll edit it to however they need to weave through their dialogue or whatever. Um, this, on the other end of things, um, like the micro licensing sites that I work with, like Musicbed, um, they do, I do see a lot of licenses happening on there that are just the instrumental, or actually a lot of them are just the instrumental with the oohs and ahs, the, the, the backup vocals. So those definitely can make up a good bit of the micro licensing stuff. Yeah. Um, um, I know a lot of people a lot of artists are into licensing and, and you're a really good person to talk to about this because you're making a, a large portion of your income from, from sync license. Um, I think, right. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's always changing. Um, but I'd say it's about half from sync and half from, you know, producing for other artists or mixed jobs or, yeah. you know, little writing. That's yeah. Well, I, I know it's, it's a point of interest for a lot of artists in a, and a thing that a lot of artists haven't delved into. I myself always like, Oh man, how do I get more into that? Um, sure. And it's just, it's another, seems like another daunting road to go down, but one that all artists need to go down, especially right now, because I know um, we're not, nobody's performing live and sync licensing is, uh, you know, seems to be a good, a good way to go to be able to keep making music. So I want to really get into that a little bit and the whole process. Sure. Um, I know you said you kind of started getting into it by when you were working with Lyric House, just bugging them saying, I can get you something quickly. I can get you something quickly. Um, how did that evolve? How, how do you do things now? Do you have a, a specific publishing deal? Are you working with a licensing company? Um, it's kind of diversified right now. I, I have one project with Position Music who um, is helping me develop this project that I've made over the last couple of years called honoraries and that's a little bit more um amped up like anthemic like really energetic folk indie folk pop you know but like power pop so um yeah we've got a batch of songs that they're going to release probably this year and you know from time to time still working with lyric house and music bed and all of these things so um, I did have an exclusive 
uh, pub deal, like a co-pub deal with Lyricast for a couple of years. And they're a great company. They get lots of syncs. Um, so definitely love working with them. But right now I'm just trying to like, trying to build up a new set of songs and see where I can take it, you know, and try to like, yeah, just diversify a little bit. Cause I think there's a lot of different companies, a lot of different, you know, licensing houses doing different things and doing different things well. So. And how do you decide when, you know, like to doing the power pop thing and the, the, the anthem folk, how did you decide to, or why did you decide to make a bunch of music like that? Um, I just fell into it, I guess. I think that was, you know, the sync thing, there's a couple, I guess, like pillars that seem to do really well. And I had tried like the swagger rock thing or like the really like dark brooding, heavy hitting trailer type thing. And, you know, I think I learned a lot by doing those, but the things that seemed to stick for me were the like folkier, upbeat kind of version of of what I normally do. So I just kind of kept sticking with what worked and then just learning how to like amp up the energy of that particular style, like do what I normally do and just kind of put it on steroids. Cause I feel like if you're, yeah. you know, if a commercial or something has 10, 15 seconds to deliver an emotion, a feeling, um, and it, it can't be subtle. Like it has to be a little bit over the top, you know, and maybe that's more over the top than you would want to be as an artist yourself. So I think that's why you're seeing a lot of people kind of develop these uh, monikers or sub monikers that they use just for sync. That way they can, you know, still be creative, but they don't have to do it. If they have an artist project where they want to be a bit more subtle, um, they can have kind of different lanes to send each of these songs. So, yeah. Um, I've, I've heard that when it comes to licensing, you lose a lot of your, I don't know, is syncability a word? Um, you sure. lose your, sure, it is now. Uh, you lose a lot of syncability once a track has been released. Do you find that to be true? Do you need, um, and I, I think you, you aren't putting out tracks on, I mean, for a lot of the songs you work on are only put out, you know, via the platform of a TV show or, um, or a movie. But do you find for artists that are trying to have their music, um, uh, in film or TV that that needs to be pitched before the song is released? Um, I've, I've definitely heard that, but I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a rule. Um, I think it just depends on what the potential placement is. You know, some companies, especially it sounds like if it's a bigger campaign, like for an ad or something, they might really want an up and coming artist that's about to release a new single that they can do in conjunction with their campaign. Um, but I think for, there's plenty of opportunities of things where people just want the right song and just want the right feeling, you know? So I don't think that that has to be the case every single time. Um, but it certainly doesn't hurt from a release standpoint either to be able to release something along with uh, a major placement. So the first major placement that I got through Lyric House was um, NCIS. Um, and they used my song Going Home, which I had not released at the time. And Lyricast really kind of encouraged me to release that right uh, right in time with the air date of the NCIS episode. And that really helped a lot, actually kind of, you know, boost the streams. And um, 
iTunes charts and all that kind of stuff for that first single that I put out as Randall Kent. So, yeah. So it well, and I think if the people who watch the show that night, if they can go to Spotify the next morning and find it. Yeah. And Shazam is really important for that too. Like when you're going through DistroKid or whatever you're using for releasing a track, like making sure that you pay the extra 99 cents or whatever it is for Shazam to me is really important because um, I think even Spotify algorithms and a lot of other platforms are paying attention to how often a song gets Shazammed because that kind of influences how quote unquote viral it is. Um, so yeah, I would definitely say like make sure your stuff is Shazamable. Shazamable. That's also a word now. Wasn't before how can so a band i like a, i would say most bands that have no idea what they're doing with sync licensing or whatever it is um they're about to put out some music and they've never done anything like that before and are and are interested in it what's what would you suggest for them what advice would you give if they're if they're getting ready to release something and they want um you're interested in sync and they're interested in sync I would say just, you know, try to reach out to some different licensing companies and get some feedback and don't be afraid to take the feedback. I think it's, you know, when you've worked really hard on something, it is really hard for someone to say, oh, I think this could be better by doing X, Y, or Z. But they're probably telling you that for a good reason because they're the people who are pitching the songs and they're the people who are um, kind of in the know as to, as to like what is getting the most type of placements and what might keep it from getting placements. So yeah, just always, always be open, hold your stuff with an open hand and try to be flexible. If that's what you're going for, it, for as far as sync. But um, if you're first and foremost trying to create art that you don't want to compromise on, then maybe you, that's great. I think a lot of people do that really well, but maybe that's, you know, going to be harder to, work with a company that does sync, you know, but maybe, maybe there's a company where you can find the right fit where they don't want, you know, to chime in creatively because they love what you do. And it's just a matter of finding the people that you work well with. And I think that's a numbers game. I think it's easy to get discouraged if you send stuff to, you know, a company and get turned down or um, maybe it's just not the right fit for them because they already have multiple artists who sound like that, or maybe they just don't, get called upon to sing songs like that very often, but that doesn't mean that there's not another company of a different size or a different nature that might work well with the type of music that you're creating. So um, yeah, just stay persistent and stay flexible and just kind of keep creating. I think it's easy to try to um, build everything up, you know, to one release, but it's really a numbers game. Like the more, the more songs you're making and the more releases you're churning out, the more chances you're going to have of, of finding the one that fits the bill for some sort of sync opportunity. Sure. Let's get back into you, you strictly as an artist. Now um, these songs came out from carry on and you were saying that a lot of these are songs that you maybe have had syncs before or haven't, but you've kept coming back to and you finally put them out. Um, What's what do you have in mind for Randall Kent, the artist, uh, in the future? Yeah, I mean, I don't see myself touring full time, but you know, I do want to play these songs and and some more 
newer material live from time to time um, under the right circumstances. But I just want to yeah keep making records and keep making stuff that I'm proud of and that people enjoy listening to. I think that's the goal. You know, I think, um, yeah, that's, that's basically it. Just keep doing what I'm doing, but hopefully to a wider and wider audience and hopefully keep trying to make it at a higher and higher level where I'm even more proud of it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I, it's so interesting too, that, you can be an artist who tours all the time nonstop and you can also be an artist who, who doesn't. Um, and, uh, it's, it's a really wild thing. I was looking at your Spotify actually right before your EP came out. Cause I was going to go listen to it and I had the date wrong, you know, it was like April 30th instead or something. And as you hadn't put out any music on Spotify as an artist in, I don't know, maybe four years or something, but you had nine or 10,000 monthly listeners. Um, and I thought, man, he's, he's been working in the studio. He's been working on licensing. He's been working with lots of different artists and here as, as an artist, um, he's got a fan base. He's got lots of people listening to his stuff. Um, lots of people, you're very Shazamable perhaps. <laughs> yeah. I think that some, at some point, you know, between getting a couple of those syncs early on under the name Randall Kent, um, the Spotify algorithm or something just kind of picked it up. Cause I can't say that I have toured a lot as Randall Kent where the, you know, those listeners are, are someone who like saw me at a show. Maybe some of them saw the heyday and have followed me along to the Randall Kent thing. But I think by and large, a lot of that is just Spotify's algorithm there. Um, you know, sending it into playlists that they think people might like it. And I think some of those people are sticking with it and coming back to it. So I think that's really cool. Um, and I think that's another reason why just the more you make, the more, you know, Spotify and these other sites are going to be able to figure out like where you fit in, in terms of their listener base. Like, Oh, they might also like this. Cause it kind of feels similar to another artist they listen to a lot. So um, yeah. And I think it's, it, it had been a couple of years since I'd released any, anything regrettably, but um, I am trying to be better about just taking my own advice and putting, putting more out consistently because I think that's really important. So. Absolutely. Looking back at the last few years and looking forward at the next few, is there anything you'd wish you'd done differently and where do you see yourself differently in say five or 10 years from now than where you're at today? Yeah, I do kind of wish I had put a little more thought into, um, yeah, kind of how I'm branding. I think the first maybe three years of doing the sync thing i was just sending everything in as randall kent and then i started to realize like oh it i started to get some feedback and i started to realize that certain styles of music you know just because it's a sync song doesn't mean it it still needs kind of a it needs a story behind it it needs a bit of authenticity and that's why i've started this honoraries thing to kind of feel a little bit more like a band and to feel a bit more uh, energetic and rambunctious uh, to kind of counterbalance this, the maybe more relaxed feel of a Randall Kent singer songwriter project. So um, I think it's important if you're, if you're creating something for sync that maybe you don't know what the artist's name is, or maybe it's a co-write or a co collaboration. It's, 
it's worth putting some thought into like, okay, who is the artist behind this and what's the, this artist's aesthetic and, and maybe building some visuals around it and maybe building a batch of songs to support whichever one you think is the best, you know? So yeah. um, I think more and more music supervisors are, are wanting that where they want, um, they want to find music that feels authentic and doesn't just feel like a one-off um, random song. That's a copy of another song, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's some, some uniqueness to it. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the best track on your record in your opinion on carry on? What's the best one? I think one life is the one that I really uh, feel the strongest about. Um, that's just, you know, I just remember while I was creating it, just like having a really positive feeling about it. And that's the one that I've been getting a good amount of feedback on. So um, I don't know. It's hard to say because I always, I feel like the ones that I'm always excited about, uh, it always seems to be inverse of whatever, but this is the one time where I do feel like that, that was one where a couple of people have texted me saying that that's their favorite. And that probably is my favorite on this EP, but it's a good question. And it rounds out the end of it too, right? Rounds out the end. And there's just some good memories there. I think a lot of times when I'm doing this kind of sync stuff or just making stuff on my own, I'm very much in isolation. And um, for that one, I had a couple friends come over and sing gang vocals. So at the very end of the record and at the very end of the song, you hear myself, my buddy Nick Blazina of the band State in Madison, and my other friend Joel Adam Russell, who's another great artist here in Nashville. Um, we were all singing gang vocals at the end there on the chorus. So, uh, yeah, uh, both of those guys are great vocalists and Nick Blazina in particular has this crazy ability of creating these awesome, like harmonies and like drone harmonies and cool intervals. So I knew, I knew once I thought of that song as like being very layered with backup vocals that I wanted him on it because he's just super talented at that. So yeah, it's always good to find to like, not be afraid to bring people into your process and, uh, you know, know your strengths and know your weaknesses and, you know, help your friends out with your strengths and have your friends help you out with your weaknesses. You know, I think something I've noticed, uh, almost all my friends who have moved to Nashville and not even just necessarily people have moved to Nashville, but, uh, the ones that have moved to Nashville, I feel like all have adapted that mindset of, there's so many people here and so many qualities. What am I good at? And I need to link up with people who are good at what I'm not good at. Well, yeah, I think it's just a byproduct of there's so many just insanely talented people here that like, you kind of have to learn to specialize in something, you know? So there's, there's a lot of people who are just highly specialized in what they do. And it's like, Oh yeah, if I need pedal steel, I'm not going to try to do it myself. Or like, obviously I don't even have pedal steel, but you know what I mean? Like, and, you know, I'm not going to try to fake it. I'm going to get whoever can come over and nail it in 20 minutes, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Did now, did you, uh, speaking of specialization, do you produce this? You wrote it. Did you, uh, did you mix and master as well? This EP? Yeah, I did. I'm making sure this is true, but yes, I, I wrote it. Uh, carry on the song. I had a co-writer. Uh, Rufka Weiss and then the I think all these songs I mixed I produced and mixed and um, and mastered 
So, yeah, and a lot of times when I'm working with a with another artist, I will send it out for mastering just because I like having that extra set of ears. Um, but I had been living with these songs long enough and kind of, you know, did a little extra mastering to make sure they all fit together. And I, I was really happy with them. So um, I just try to like let my ears lead the way. If, it, if I'm happy with what I've got, then stick with that. If, if I feel like it needs that extra something, I'm not opposed to sending it out for mastering or whatever needs to happen. Right, right. Something I noticed with all of these tracks is it, it, and a lot of a lot of songwriters will come up with a chord progression or a riff and then right on top of that, you know, or it might just be a one, five, six, four, whatever, and then right on top of that. And the emotion might not necessarily match the music or the title or whatever. What I noticed with I think every single song on the EP if I was listening down to it a couple times was when you listen to Brand New Day and you if you were to take out the lyrics and just listen to the production and the music, it sounds like what you think a brand new day would sound like. And good life sounds like a good life. And and all of them kind of felt that way um, for me from a production standpoint, which I thought was really, really cool. Is that something you put a lot of thought into when you're, when you're producing? I think that's another byproduct of, of doing the sync thing for a while. Like you said, um, and like we'd mentioned earlier, like letting the, the message be clear lyrically, but also emotionally, musically, um, you know, people are busy and people have short attention spans. And I think it's cool when there's kind of like a, you know, artistically, you know, you can have a lyric that kind of juxtaposes a, a musical feeling. Um, but yeah, for this set of songs, it just worked, I think, to go straight ahead and to like let let the lyric and the feeling of the music go the same way, you know? So I, I yeah, I do think I'm conscious of that when I'm making this stuff. I think if I want it to feel nostalgic or a little bit hopeful or something, you know, then that's going to inspire the music is going to inspire the lyrics and vice versa. You're doing promotion wise differently now that these songs are out. Um, when you're, when you're working for licensing, you, you might give them to the licensing company or try to get a sync with it. Now that they're out, how are you going about promoting these tracks uh, differently than you normally would? Um, I'm right now I'm at running Instagram ads, Facebook ads. Um, I'm, you know, after seeing your video about Submit Hub, I'll probably start diving into the Submit Hub universe here. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do feel like my release strategy knowledge is a bit limited just because I've been so focused on, on making tracks and letting other people kind of help me out with the publishing and with the release of, you know, if it's for another artist, obviously they're going to handle the release. So, um, I'm very much learning as I go with this, but I felt like the, the least I could do was like make those Instagram videos, put some Facebook ads together, Instagram ads together, and I'll probably try to just keep creating content behind it, you know, lyric videos. Um, I think that's really important just to keep fresh images and fresh visuals popping up in people's feeds, um, just to remind them that you've got new stuff out. Um, that and then just trying to, um, yeah, trying to keep, Spotify, keep that Spotify algorithm active, you know, so creating playlists or trying to get other people who have, um, 
you know, visible playlists to include my songs on. Um, so I think Spotify for artists, it'll show you if, if you're on any playlists that have more than 25 followers, um, it'll show you where you're getting your plays from. And some of those can be from other people's playlists. So um, there's someone I've worked with a couple times here. Uh, Alex Rainbird is the name of the YouTube account and they curate a lot of really good music and they've featured a couple of my songs, a couple of songs on this EP and just got back in touch with them recently and said like, Hey, just in case you didn't see, I've got this EP out and um, I appreciate y'all like featuring these songs on your YouTube videos in the past. And if there's any new ones or anything else I can contribute to your YouTube channel, let me know. And they're going to feature, sounds like they are going to feature that song one, one life that I just mentioned um, in July. So that can be really beneficial just reaching out to, I know when I first heard about that type of thing, or like you think about your music being as something that you've created maybe for eventually for making a profit and then to let someone else use it in their YouTube video for free might seem counterintuitive, but you know, for this account in particular, Alex Rainbird, they do a really good job of curating songs that fit well together and they built a really good, listener base people who come to their youtube channel just to find new music you know so it's really a nice tool for independent artists to be able to like be discovered on youtube and spotify and they've got some spotify playlists that do the same thing so is this youtube channel is it just they're just putting collections of music together or is it tutorials with music in the background how does their channel work no, it's just music. It's just they're curating music. Um, so they do like a seasonal video and they'll do a monthly video and they kind of have different, each video might have a slightly different feeling like happy, energetic folk tracks or, you know, chill, low key. Um, and I'm sure there's lots of sites or lots of YouTube channels that are doing similar things, you know, curating um, different independent artists but it's just finding the ones that um kind of fit what you do stylistically and that are into what you do yeah absolutely what's been your favorite placement you've ever had and what's been your biggest placement you've ever had hmm um I, as far as biggest i'm trying to think i wrote a song with uh a band called wild who are good friends of mine from la we had written a couple songs in the past, but um, I think in 2017 or 2018, we wrote a song called Here We Go, and they ended up getting signed to Network Records, and that was their first single. So that ended up getting a number of placements. One was um, in the Goosebumps movie, Goosebumps 2 with Jack Black. So that was pretty yeah. cool to go to the theater and to see the song that I had written uh, with my friends in the sunroom of my house, like after we first moved here, just such a distinct memory of writing that song with those, those folks. And then to being able to go to the theater and see it, you know, and it, it ends up taking up the whole like minute and a half ending uh, montage of the movie. Um, so that was a really cool moment. That, that definitely was one of my favorites. Um, I also really loved, there's a song I wrote with a band, uh, an artist here in town called Volunteer. And we had a placement on a show called Born This Way um, on, I believe it's on A&E. And um, it's, it's a bunch of really awesome people with 
developmental disabilities and they are going uh, whitewater rafting during the scene and they are um, just having the time of their life and uh, it's just really, it's a great show, you know, it's really inspiring and um, just to see our music used like in such an inspiring way like that, it's for, you know, this crew of folks to do like just something uh, so fun and something challenging was really cool. Yeah, wow. That must be really neat to go to the theater and see a and see a song or you or hear a song. Excuse me, um, you know. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely a cool moment uh, back when we could go to theaters. <laughs> right, right. If that ever if that ever happens again, <laughs> at some point. Um, well, I'm really excited uh, about the new EP, and we'll have links for it in the show notes, as I said earlier. So everybody who's listening go check it out. And is there anything else uh, you want to add? No, I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate uh, you making this podcast. I think it's a really cool resource for uh, people who are trying to, you know, make an independent living of making music and keep at it, keep making music to everybody who's listening and uh, don't be afraid to do something weird. I like it. (laughs) Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Okay, how about it? Thanks, Randall. Thanks for taking the time. I sure appreciate it. And it was good to see you in your element, in your home studio. As was mentioned... His new EP is out. It came out on May 1st, Carry On. We're going to play out this episode with the final song on that EP, and I think my favorite, though it changes as I as I listen through. The song's called One Life, and I sure hope you enjoy it. You can go check out Randall. Uh, if you look at the show notes, there's links to his Spotify and to the EP and other stuff too. So check out the show notes. Go support artists. Drop him a line. I'm sure he'd love to hear from you. Um, and stay safe out there. I'll see you next week with another exciting episode of Middle Class Rockstar. <laughs> oh, if you have any comments, questions, concerns, hate mail, or death threats, send them to middleclassrockstar at gmail.com. Take care. Dive a little deeper, way up past.
past our fears and past the greater. 